That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Few Things, where we give our greatest discoveries the podcast they deserve. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. This show is brought to you by Avakind. Find out more and sign up for our newsletter at avakind.com. Also, leave us a voicemail, 833-AVAKIND. You know what else people should do? Huh? Review us on iTunes. Oh, yeah. Get with it, people. This is like a whole thing, and it's like a dark art trying to promote a podcast. Oh, my so gosh. We just, the reviews One of those are something dark arts. that helps. Yeah. Um, if you could do that, that would be nice. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be really lovely. I have a favor for everyone in return. What? 10% off of my favorite scarf on the site right now. Wow. So generous of you. And all yeah. they have to do is leave a review. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So nice. Use the code. Do they unlock well, the code yeah. <laughs> after they leave a review? Uh, we're not quite there yet with the yeah, technology. Totally. Okay. But the code is a few things. Mm-hmm. And the scarf that I'm talking about is something that is a really long time coming. Um, it is by this woman, Tamaki Neem, who does the most like stunning, beautiful woven textiles. She's Japanese. It's called the Nishiwaki scarf because Nishiwaki is the area in Japan where the, her, yeah, where her studio is. Based. Yeah. Um, and it's not, factory is such Yeah, a, no, it's not a factory Factories, at all. um, well, it's more of like a, like an enclave, I think. (laughs) It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's this weaving, you know, Mm -hmm. textile center. And then there's an organic garden. And then there's a space where they serve lunch. just with all of their organic grown pro- produce, it's it sounds pretty special. It does. It, I feel bad for it, the people working in our office I when I edit this say- kind of content because it's like I, we can't give you this. Like no. we're never going to have a produce garden outside of our Dumbo Brooklyn uh, studio no. or even on the roof of our building. That will I never feel be badly. working it off a kind. <sighs> we have other perks to offer. We have other perks. Like we're pretty funny sometimes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's what we bring to the table. But the I do think you can see the the beauty of this. Um, um, factory slash enclave is yeah. evident in the products um, that that come out of them. She, this woman, just has the most incredible um, sense of color and mixes the most unexpected colors and to great effect. To great effect, absolutely to great effect. I've been collecting her scarves for a really long time. They're not very widely distributed in the U.S. We we're really excited to get the one on our site, um, and not no no two are alike because they're all just these different, like, incredible, intricate weaving patterns. So when you look at it on the site, make sure to look at the detail shots. Even if you don't buy it, just go look at the detail shots at this, like, incredible weaving. And if you leave us a review, you can use the code <laughs> of a few things for 10% off. That's right. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, I've been waiting to tell you this for a I while. Know. Okay, you've been so disciplined in not telling me. It's been so it's been so disciplined. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk a lot about uh, what to wear to and from exercise classes on this podcast. Maybe more than some people would like. Who knows? Um, but I have something new to add to this conversation. Yeah. What to wear during an exercise class? Yes, because. I was recently in a Pilates class with someone who was wearing dress pants, like on a reformer next to me. Wow. Um, she was wearing, I, I'm, and I've been trying to think about like the best. It I'm so def- flattered that you're calling them dress pants. I didn't, I'm doing that for you. Like, I don't, I don't know what to call. Like, it's well, a, when you say dress pants, I imagine a black, slightly shiny, mm-mm. slightly boot cut mm-mm. with a tab closure from Express or uh, the limited. The, the shape I think is correct. Okay. Like it is a, it was a tab closure mm-hmm. for certain, but the, the, it was maybe like a beige Glen plaid. Like, Whoa. It, like if Whoa. you were, okay, if you were so doing a production mistaken for a Lululemon. No, oh, no, 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 wow. no. If you were going to do like a Newsies Halloween costume, you could totally get away with wearing these pants. That's what wow. we're talking about. Um, and they were a fine pant for life, but like it, and like, look, Pilates. Do you think she just forgot and she was like, F it, I'm still doing Pilates? Well, she was right next to me, so I had a lot of time to think about it and examine <laughs> like what, yeah. what the headspace was. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, my take is that she could have just forgotten and been like, F it, I'm I, like, yeah. fuck it, this, I'm, I'm coming to this class, I'm gonna do this, I'm not yeah. like canceling and getting a cancellation fee or like whatever, right. it'll be fine. Or she's just the kind of person who is like, what are exercise clothes and like, <laughs> why do what I need those? And I'm just gonna like, show up and it's going to be fine. She looked like she could be breezy enough that that was a possibility. This relates to a character in my life. Um, We used to live in a, before our current home, we lived in a fairly big building and it had a gym and there were just, and we lived there for like five years. So we really got to know all the characters. And there was one person who drove Chris crazy because he would wear jeans to the gym (laughs) and he still refers to him as workout jeans see see, this is what i can't decide is this woman doing a workout trouser or or was this an accident i don't know i don't know i really hope you see her again but she didn't oh also her shirt was like definitely had gone with the pants it wasn't like a button it wasn't Mm -hmm. like a blouse or something um but it was like but it was some it was also a dress shirt it wasn't a fitness shirt okay. or it wasn't like a t-shirt or it wasn't it like I don't think there was like a sports bra happening which again you could Pilates isn't so right, whatever right. that you can't do Pilates in a regular bra right but if if you chose to but it just it was jarring you for need me. to see her again because what really did it for Chris and workout jeans was that, that he, he kept, kept doing coming. it. He kept yeah. doing it. It was like this wasn't like this one day where all his workout clothes were in the laundry. We just talked about workout jeans the other day, in fact, because we were wondering if he still lived there. Oh, not if he's still wearing jeans. Just <laughs> no, if he's we're still sure around. he's still wearing <laughs> jeans for sure. We were just like, we wonder who still lives in that building. I wonder if workout, workout jeans, jeans is yeah. still there. Um, okay, so something else that came up for me over the last mm-hmm. week or so is I, I went to an infrared sauna for the first time. Yeah, how did you like it? Um, I liked it. I mm-hmm. went to area yoga mm-hmm. on in Park Slope. A lot um, of people have recommended their prenatal classes to I, me. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, well, they also have an infrared sauna. Like mm-hmm. It's a, a kind of a whole separate facility. I don't oh, know. It's called Area Sweat. What's apparently? it like? Like what it, You go on by yourself. Um, well, I did in this case, okay. um, but, but that is not the starting point. Okay. Um, so ba- I booked it on ClassPass because I was like, I'm not committing to this in any real way, okay. but I had wanted to like do something after work and mm-hmm. whatever. It, this was kind of on my way home and I was like, okay, this is, and I'd already gone to work on class that day and I was like, this feels like a good yep. t- opportunity to try this thing. Um, so 
they tell you when you book that it's up to four people in in a like sauna room and they might be strangers yeah, presumably, okay. like presumably strangers. It's not like a you can book with three of your friends. You might be able to yeah. book with three of your friends, okay. but probably not on ClassPass. Okay. Um, so I was there by myself, ultimately. Mm-hmm. There were other people there who were also by themselves. They seemed to be like, if they, they were going like, to putting four of us in one sauna, they were running as many saunas as there were people. It's the opposite of the tactic with like a, life save, a lifeboat. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Um, and I did like it. It, it. Like, it's very strange because it is hot, but it is not hot, hot like a regular sauna. Mm-hmm. It. I st- stayed in there for like 25 minutes without needing to leave or okay. to, like take a break from it. But that whole time you were sweating so much. Interesting. Like, it feels like you're like... I don't know, in like Palm Springs or Arizona mm-hmm. or whatever, it's like hot, but not but not hot where you would be like dripping sweat down your face and your back and your legs, which is what happens. I know that that the this segment is about what to not what to wear during yes yeah. but what do you wear uh, a, bit, a swimsuit it? okay could yeah. you, do some people go in naked you're not allowed to in okay. this like communal it, oh, it's right. also okay. like mixed gender and like right, sexual, right, i don't right. know they, okay. they've they've been like this is a swimsuit situation okay got it um so i wore a swimsuit during this and then but my big question was what am i like leaving in like what right. am i wearing yeah. to leave because i also had gone to a workout class that morning so i had like other but i yeah. had like leggings and stuff right. which i'm not going to put on a legging so i brought extra those oh, interesting those outdoor voices like jogger yeah the jogger pants things. yeah and mm-hmm. just like an outdoor voices long sleeve yeah. shirt but it felt also crazy to be packing all this extra stuff <laughs> to For leave some- the yeah. infrared sauna. Because, yeah, you weren't going to put on what you wore there. So I was looking around to see what other people were well, doing. Well, first of all, they have showers? No one told me about a shower. There could be a shower. Okay. There could okay. be a locker room. I think there's just a bathroom, okay. to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, them not having showers really does put you in a situation. Then you got to bring a second You're pair of clothes. You're wearing a sweaty swimsuit. Yeah. A Oof. sweaty yeah. swimsuit. Yeah. Okay, so this man who was at, in there at the same time as me, but not in the same sauna... Yeah. Um, he, we were leaving at the same time and I was seeing what was up with him and he put on jeans and the sweater that he came in. And the idea of putting on a wool sweater out of that just was wildly unappealing. I, I, it sounds disgusting. It sounded, it, 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 see, I was disgusted for him. I don't know if he thought about it. I don't know if he'd done the thought exercise of how am I going to feel about (laughs) being sweaty and leaving, but Yeah. He, I, I once did one of those float tanks, you yeah. know, those sensory yeah, deprivation yeah, yeah, yeah. float tanks. And <laughs> you know, when you want to deprive your senses, yep, you get in an egg and you float. And um, it's really, it's like, I can't even remember. I think it's pretty hot in there. And then you do take a shower afterwards. But I remember just leaving both sopping wet and sweating, sweating both. Yeah. And feeling totally disgusting. It was hot outside and being so desperate not to run into anybody. So obviously I did. Um, And it was gross. I don't, I can't remember what I wore on the way out, but I remember thinking the same thing. Like, what does one do to leave here appropriately? I need some tips. Yeah. I I guess what do people do for hot yoga? I don't know. That's part of why I don't do hot yoga. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, I guess you, oh, gross. Yeah. Because even if you do take a shower after hot yoga, you don't want to put on the clothes you came in. No. This is like part of I. This is I also think this is a situation where you lug around a lot of clothes, or you only do hot yoga, or if you, you live, live in a place with, with a car. car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think yeah. that's partially it. You live in a place with a car. That is the answer to the questions. You just have all this stuff in the trunk of your car. I listened to that entire um, series on Bikram yoga, and they didn't mention this once. Interestingly, yeah. 
yeah, these are the questions we have. If yeah. you have answers, email us a few things at ofakind.com. Or, or leave us a voice memo. Well, obviously, that's where we were getting. <laughs> 833 How'd... of a kind. Perfect. Great. Wait, what was the song? How does the song go? 833 of a kind. I think you changed it since the last time. Is that always how it went? 833 of a kind. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. 833 of a kind. Yeah. All you right. did it good that time. Thank you. It's the first time you've done it well. That was... <laughs> I was no really offense. like, I was really tr- like wanted to have a good voice in that one. Yeah. I wanted it to be yeah. right. Uh, should we bring on our guest? Yes. So we are here with Grace Bonnie, who you probably know all about already. She is the founder of the Very Big Deal blog, Design Sponge. She's written a bunch of books that you've probably read, like In the Company of Women, which is amazing. And, recently, and not just because we're in it. Oh, my gosh. And not just because we're <laughs> in it. And last spring, she launched Good Company, which is a biannual print magazine. And she recently launched a podcast uh, to go with that, too. Grace, we're so excited to have you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, we were, we talk all the time, Grace, about how the first time we were ever on a podcast or radio show or anything was your show mm-hmm. um, after the jump back in the day. Um, so we have you to thank for the fact that um, people are listening to us right now and they what? have us to thank for having to suffer <laughs> through it. <laughs> we And we still hear from people all the time that they learn yeah. about us from that. Yeah, from that. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it was the first time we realized we really liked talking into microphones and like not <laughs> wearing having headphones. We're, wearing headphones, wearing headphones and not having the pressure of, uh, of a visual element involved. <laughs> we were like, that was, that felt comfortable. We liked that. There was no hair yeah. and makeup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I feel it, you. I feel as if I don't need to tell this, but I feel like it goes with the story that I'm currently still in my pajamas from this morning. <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> perfect. Yes. The yeah. beauty of radio. That is exactly right. Um, I mean, that is sort of all to say that you have been creating content for a very long time. Um, you were one of the original, like, first professional bloggers. Um, you launched in 2004. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I was a tiny baby. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. It's um, so nuts. I mean, it's it's like not even a recognizable medium from when you started. Not at all. There is literally nothing that is the same other than, I guess, just kind of the, the basics of what it is to blog on a platform like yeah, that. But yeah. almost everything else has changed. Um, what was blogging like when you started and, and what has it become now or how do you think about it? It's funny. It it was a total free for all then, and it's still kind of a free for all now. Like yeah. the rules, the rules are constantly shifting. It's like it's like quicksand. Like just when you think you've figured out how things work, some sort of social media platform pops up, or somebody else like disrupts some other system, and then you have to relearn, repromote, re get used to an algorithm. So it is exhausting. It is definitely. Then and now, still very much a young person's game, and I am feeling very much like an older person in that game Please. these days. Please, I mean that's a, it's funny that you say you know the, a platform pops up and and you have to relearn everything. I there when we tell our like younger employees or interns about when we started Avakind, we'll be like, well, I mean Instagram didn't exist, and their head like explodes. <laughs> Instagram know, didn't right? exist, and Gmail didn't filter our emails into a separate tab. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I had a Hotmail account. I had yeah. a Hotmail account for design sponge there was no social media platform and i think facebook existed as like its college version of itself perhaps yeah, when i yeah, started yeah but there was no public facing version of any social media your great aunt so, was not on facebook yes exactly there was myspace and friendster and totally. that was yeah. it yeah um how has the way that the sort of business of blogging changed and ch- affected the content that you produce for it 
It's interesting. So I would say it's affected us more as a business than it has our content, which is not the case for most people. I think that as the ad industry kind of flips its head and instead of it being a blogger's game, it's now an advertiser's game. I think that most people have adjusted their content to be more of what advertisers are looking for. But I have none of us at Design Sponge have ever made enough money for us to kind of roll over on our ethics. Mm -hmm. And so instead of changing our content, we've just continued to refine the way our team works to become more efficient to have as little overhead as possible and to really just work as freelance as possible, which Mm. allows us to kind of write about things that are political or social or more serious and weave those into the more lighthearted or lighthearted design content that we always do. So for me, it's just kind of been a constant reminder of how do I keep focusing on the things that are important to me? And if they're not working online, how do I put them into a platform that does connect with people? So that's why we keep pushing into print and Mm -hmm, trying mm -hmm, events mm -hmm. and just you know, just trying to see what sticks. Mm-hmm. So you write a lot about on Design Sponge and on your social media about how your perspective on content has shifted over the last 14 years. Um, what directions are you going now? What interests you um, in terms of what you cover and what you think about? For me personally, the only thing that interests me is really just talking to people about their lives and how they kind of weave their work into that. Because I think for a long time, I really fell prey to that business and entrepreneurial narrative that you are your work. It's okay to have those two identities be completely fused with Mm -hmm. no separation. And I thought that was just reality and that's just totally okay. But when I moved outside of New York City four years ago, it kind of gave me a fresh perspective on how unhealthy that was for me, mm-hmm. at least. And so I've tried to keep working on projects and stories that remind me that it can be healthy to have a life where your life comes before work. And that can sometimes be like sacrilege and New York City. So it's been kind of a constant recentering and looking for stories that remind me to reprioritize a bit. What types of stories do that for you? Uh, one-on-ones for me. It's, it's why I wanted to bring the radio show back because mm-hmm. even interviewing people via email, it's, it's just totally different than when you get to sit with them face-to-face and yeah. ask a question. And that's what's been so valuable is every time I felt really down or like it's time to give up or I can't do this anymore, I do some interview with somebody where they've been in a place that I've been or they've given me some sort of insight that has totally reshaped the way I've looked at something. And it's been an incredibly valuable tool. And I'm just hoping that those interviews are providing people listening with, with similar moments of kind of inspiration, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another thing that you uh, that's happened in your life that you've woven into your content is that you were recently diagnosed with diabetes. And I have been really impressed and intrigued by the way you have found uh, sort of channels to weave that into conversations about, you know, design even. Um, So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I was three years ago, I was diagnosed with type one. And most people don't know the difference between the two types of diabetes, but the shortest way to say it is they're just completely different and that you can get them at any stage of your life. But type one is the one that comes with insulin shots and it's generally just not very fun. Um, But it has been in a way kind of a gift because it has taught me to really toss out the idea of perfection. I think for all of me, you know, trying to teach myself through radio shows and essays on Design Sponge to not be a perfectionist, I still very much was. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was diagnosed where I realized, you know, I'm literally tracking my blood sugar numbers every five minutes of every day for the rest of my life. Yeah. And it can be exhausting. And in in watching this kind of literal real-time graph of your numbers, you realize how there really is no kind of balance. Life is just constantly this sets of like 
ups and downs and ups and downs, and you try to keep those peaks and valleys as stable as possible. But the idea of balance went out the window. Mm -hmm. And so that for me was actually just a really powerful gift that came from that. And it really let me kind of like let my hair down, give up the idea of trying to need to be everything to everybody and to just cut myself some slack. And to me, that connects to everything we talk about at Design Sponge, whether it's like trying to get your room to look perfect Mm -hmm, or having the mm -hmm. perfect business launch, like that doesn't exist. So it drew me to trying to tell more stories of when people had those moments when things didn't go well, because I think that kind of rallies everybody together to say, oh, I've had that moment where I fell on my face or this whole thing, you know, didn't go as planned. And I just, I personally find more connection and more uplift and kind of bonding over those moments than just highlight reels. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, your your new magazine, Good Company, um, you just put out. You're putting out your second issue, and the the topic of this is fear and failure. What are some of the things you've experienced in your life that you you know that have scared you, that have given you that sense of fear? I mean, well, this magazine, yeah, <laughs> just to start, I mean, yeah, just to know, start starting, this thing, yeah, <laughs> starting a a print project of any site, but a, a, especially a magazine, it's yeah. just, you know, a Herculean effort that is almost always set up to fail. So it has been such a challenge, but I think you all probably know this feeling when you just get this project stuck in your head and you know, you can't get it out of your system until yeah. you have tried it. That is what this is for me. And I wanted mainly a place to have these really vulnerable conversations in a place that felt safe. And for me, the web does not feel like a safe place mm-hmm. to have open, vulnerable, and nuanced conversations. I think we've all kind of been pushed into this realm of like, how do we make this hyperbole? How do we make this as extreme of a reaction? You either love it or you hate it or everyone or no one. And I think when you write in print, you get to talk about these things and kind of pick them apart and unpack them. And there's nobody there to like immediately troll you once you share your story. So for me, this project was terrifying, but in the same way, it also was about safe space creation because mm. everyone that we asked to share a story, we were able to say, you know, no one's going to jump down your throat after this. There's nobody in a comment section who's going to tell you that you're wrong. Like, you you know you can share this in a space where it's going to be safe and someone's going to hold it in their hands and they're going to have a very intimate experience with it. And so far, that's what's been happening, which is really lovely. And it's a very different experience than, than working on the web. I feel so thick because I... It, it wasn't until you said that, and maybe this is really obvious to everybody else, but there has been this sort of um, resurgence of print recently with magazines yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, like um, Good Company and like, uh, you know, and Kinfolk and, and all of yeah. these, you know, and Cherry Bomb, it, yeah. Cherry Bomb exactly. And um, Gentlewoman and, you know, so many that we love. And that is such an obvious now that you say it reason for that, which is that you don't have that commenting section. You don't have the repurposing of the stuff the way you do and the, the, the interpretation and the reaction the way you do online. But Grace, yeah, it comes, you have such a specific perspective on it because you have been producing content in these various mm-hmm. forums for so many years. Um, yeah, you can like bring that lens. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to have all those different attempts because, you know, as you guys know, like the reaction that comes from radio is one thing. Online Mm -hmm. is one thing. Social media is a whole different beast. And so it's been really fascinating to see like in what spheres do people feel the most comfortable? Because for me, you know, at a certain point, even with design sponge where we heavily moderate, um, comments and try to maintain some sense of decorum, you know, you just, you can't protect everyone from everything. And, 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 you know, in some sense, that's not real life to never have anybody give you feedback, but Mm -hmm. I like 
figuring out where can I create a space where someone will trust us to share a story that is so important to hear, but would be very risky to put on the internet, Mm -hmm, especially mm -hmm. on social media. So, you know, I'm just in that phase where almost 15 years in, I'm like, where, where can I start over again? Where can I do something like a magazine where I am learning from the ground up? And as hard as it is, it's kind of nice to be back in that phase where I am unlearning all the things I learned from the web and trying to kind of relearn how you express yourself and protect people's stories in a totally different format. That's fascinating. Well, and I, you have a very specific perspective on this because I think, you know, several years ago, you started becoming a lot more outspoken about sort of the political and social issues related to design and representation and things like that. And I know... And diversity in terms of upbringing, perspective, background, all of it. Um, And I know that there's, that as one would expect, there's been a mixed reaction from the the people who comment on your blog. And so I feel like that, you know, you come from a very um, informed, (laughs) informed experience around that. I mean, it's interesting. It, no matter what you do, people will tell you to stay in your lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a lot of ways, there's there's some truth to that, and it makes sense. Like, I don't want somebody with absolutely no experience on something to, you know, pose themselves as an expert. And I think all I can do is to continually share the platform rather than making my platform like a one-way dialogue about what the right answer is. And even if you do that, there's always going to be somebody who feels uncomfortable because they're coming to you to escape things that make them uncomfortable. And, but it's interesting because people want you to stay in a lane with the assumption that the discomfort is coming from a similar place, but Mm -hmm. it's not because some people are reading and like that we discuss things like that because it makes them feel seen and heard and understood. Like right now I have a ton of white cisgendered straight women in my DMs telling me to stop talking about trans rights because it makes them uncomfortable and it feels like politics. And they're assuming that everybody else feels the same way. But Hmm. the people who are a part of our community who are trans or a part of the LGBT community, we're really, you know, and I'm a part of that community as well, are, mm-hmm. are feeling like this is something we have to talk about. And this is something we yeah. have to make sure people understand. And I don't see how you can talk about designing homes that are welcoming and comforting if certain people's identities aren't included in that. Aren't being welcomed. Exactly. Um, how do you deal with people who are sliding into your DMs to tell you, you know, to stay in your lane or to stop talking about political issues or whatever? Oh, girl. It depends, <laughs> it depends on, on the, the day. day. Yeah. You know, I would say... of the time I am attempting to be my best self and almost always start every conversation with, I hear you. Thank you for sharing your opinion. Let me tell you how I feel when I hear that. And, um, you know, that's like therapy language 101. (laughs) It doesn't always go well. I would say half the time it doesn't go well. And then, you know, every other day when somebody says something that just hits me the wrong way, I'll let them know how I feel, not about them, but how it made me feel. Yeah. And, you know, I think the internet is spectacularly good at dehumanizing people, Mm -hmm. especially people that the internet, you know, perceives as having success, even though, I mean, that's one of my favorite things to talk about these days is the difference between the perception of success Mm -hmm. and what life is actually like on the other side of that. So what is some of the content that you're most excited about in this most recent issue? Oh, it's so good. It was, this issue was so important to me because I think that the way that in particular female entrepreneurial content works right now is it's all about highlight reels. It's all about mm-hmm. like, yes, girl, like hashtag so-and-so boss. Crushing it, is killing like, it. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's fine. Like that motivates a ton of people, but I also hear from the people who feel left out of that conversation a lot and people who feel like, well, wait, that's not my experience. And 
So I wanted to create a place where we talked about fear and failure without any glossiness to it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but to find the lessons in it, because I think fear is inevitable and failure is inevitable. It is a part of everyone's business structure, no matter how well you plan and no matter how much money you have. It's just a difference in how openly we discuss it. Yeah. So it's 180 pages ranging from like interviews, first person stories, group discussions that are illustrated, um, like how to steps, all sorts of things that are designed to really demystify these concepts and unpack them. And we're talking about like sophomore slump and how to, you know, find distribution and representation for your projects when you are coming from a marginalized community where it's almost impossible to get venture funding. Hmm. So we really kind of break down a lot of these big things that I think need to be discussed because, you know, if you're only reading business publications, it makes it seem like everybody can just put out a few, you know, flyers and get some VC money that trickles in and then start something. But most of us don't do that. So I really wanted to provide as many paths to business success as possible. And then as many examples of people getting through these really tough times. And it almost always boils down to the secret ingredient is building yourself a support system. And Mm -hmm. if you have friends and colleagues who do what you do, who can help support you, all of the things that you have to weather will be a little bit less intimidating. Um, that's such that's a good, amazing. That's such a good piece of advice that I feel like does not get talked about no. quite enough. You know, well, we because talk- it's, it's it relates more to women than men in a lot of ways. <laughs> right. Of course, it doesn't get talked about. No, <laughs> it's totally. Much. But I also just feel like there's so much conversation around self care in general, and like you know, to, taking time out for just yourself. But there is also that network element and community. So important. Yeah. Community, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's that popular kind of myth right now of like self made. Not a single person is self made. That's right. Nobody, even if you started your business in the middle of nowhere with just a few people around you, there's still somebody helping you, whether it's like your local post office or, or your first else. customer. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I think it's really important to acknowledge the communities and the systems that build people, whether it's Beyonce or somebody who's just popular on the internet right. yeah. and to understand how those things happen, because it lets people have a more realistic path to mm-hmm. creating something because otherwise you see people cre- like quitting their jobs, running full force into some creative project, and then it falls apart because that's just too much pressure to put on something. I Every single time Erica and I have looked at another business or another entrepreneur and said like, oh my God, but like, how did they do that? And like, why are they able to have that success where we haven't, it is only a matter of time before something is revealed or an advantage they had like yeah, a, yeah an upper hand that, that we might not exactly. have had yeah. and it is just knowing the story that is so important because that yeah that comparing yourself in that way is ne- you never have the full story yeah no. and I don't want to and I don't want to fall into a trap of like the one thing we had to be really careful of was like I don't want it to seem as if we have any judgment for people who are coming with more advantages than others yeah. because that's just the reality of life and of business. course and some people are going to have more support but when you are more transparent it really helps people understand like oh 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 this is not a typical case to build my business on like you know being able to i don't know like buy a giant house and charter a yacht and have this like instagrammable life is not a typical experience for most you know, influencers or whatever. No, so I think it's not where most people are starting. Down. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's important to talk about those things and not with judgment, but just with like clarity. Um, one of the other things I really love about the magazine is the the like blown out contributors section at the front and that, you know, there's just so much credit being given around and it features a lot of people that we love, like the illustrator Lauren Tamaki, like Jenna Wortham. Um, the latest issue features the, the founders of Radical Monarchs, which we're obsessed with. Um, and it's just really great to see 
all of that credit given and not just, you know, a handful of four pictures, which you typically see in the front of a magazine. Um, yeah, I, that's really a comment, not a question. <laughs> oh, I, thank you. That was a, that was a very conscious decision. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured was, as much. We got a lot of pushback on like, how much space are you really going to give to just a bunch of square shaped pictures? Mm-hmm. But yeah. that was something that coming from like, I was an, still am an obsessive consumer of magazines of all types. Yeah. It always bugs me when you see a creative magazine in particular, where you know, there were like a dozen people behind every photo and Absolutely. every styled piece. I want those people to be credited because yeah. that is the reality of the creative community. Like people don't stay with companies or with publications for long anymore because everyone is launching their own business. Yeah. And so I want people here to be acknowledged and be, to be supported. And there's no, you know, there's no curtain up. There's no like, um, you know, just sort of like a person behind there running everything with like a very clean, simple aesthetic. Like we're all very different. We all have very different points of view and there's not one person who's more in charge than anyone else. Like this was a project where I decentered myself and I did my best to give guidance, but ultimately let people kind of lead their own pieces and their own artwork. Because especially when you're dealing with stories of people from marginalized communities, I am not an authority on their experience. And so I really wanted to step back and say, cool, if that's how you think this story should be shaped, I support that. And so that's why contributors were so important to acknowledge. Um, can we talk a little bit about why you decided to pick up the podcast format again? Yes, absolutely. As our original podcast inspiration. <laughs> you did college I, radio, right? I did. I did college radio, albeit a very different show. I had a jam band radio show, <laughs> <laughs> um, which was very creatively just called jam band radio. Um, I love it. I loved it. I loved that kind of well, A, you don't have to get dressed up or do anything mm-hmm. fancy. No one ever sees you, which is awesome. Um, but it's just a fun place to like test out the creation of something from start to finish. It's like mm-hmm. this little bite-sized nugget moment. And I love that. And I deeply missed having the radio show back in Brooklyn because it gave me that chance to talk with people in person, which doesn't really happen that much as a blogger. Mm-hmm. So I brought this back in a really DIY way and like went back to all my old producers at Heritage Radio in Brooklyn and asked for advice and bought myself a recording kit and have just been kind of bopping around talking to people when I can. And I just recorded a chunk of interviews in Los Angeles. Um, and I got to talk with Kathleen Hannah from Bikini Kill, who's like oh, awesome. my longtime idol. And that's what the podcast was. that your first time me. talking to her? Yes. Well, we interviewed her for in the company of women, but we didn't get to do that in person. Right. Um, and that's that's the beauty of the podcast is like it's just so much better to talk to people in person or just to even have this type of dialogue like we're having over the phone. Right. It's just different than writing. Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. It's just I think it's the closest way I feel comfortable to being social. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's been missing from my life. <laughs> Um, one last question before we go. I, who else is, are you really tracking these days for inspiration? Whose work is really keeping you going? Oh, so many people. But there is an artist right now, two people. There's an artist named Love is Wise. Mm-hmm. And she was on my podcast a while ago. But she recently did a cover for The New Yorker. And she was the only, only the second black woman to ever do a cover of The New Yorker. And she wow. is, she and she just graduated from college. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. We love her work. We've been trying to to figure out something to do with her. She gives me hope Mm -hmm. for just people in general, but especially for the artistic community, just to watch the way that she consistently re-examines her work and what purpose it's serving and what it can be doing to support people in her community that's not already. I mean, that is an awareness and a self-awareness that I just don't always see in a lot of people's work. And 
it just makes me very hopeful. And I feel the same thing about a writer named Elazar Sontag, who is a part of this issue as well, who works in the food community, but really makes me hopeful for the future of writers and, and people in our community who are not making it all about themselves, which yeah. is such a moment right now. Mm-hmm. Everything is a personal essay. I mean, I, I do the exact same thing. I am just as guilty as everybody else. But it's nice to see writers who are interested in journalism and really trying to find a way to not insert themselves, but to really respectfully tell the story of the person they're talking about. Mm. And that, to me, makes me want to be a better writer. Yeah. And so those two people right now are, as the kids say, giving me life. <laughs> I love Grace, that. you're not old, see? Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost 40. I mean, I know that's not incredibly ageist to say, but for being a blogger, like, yeah. it's, you know, it's not the youngest. <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this. It was amazing to have you on. Everybody should pick up a copy of Good Company and listen to Grace's new podcast. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can listen to us wherever podcasts podcasts are found like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. Follow us at Ofakind on Instagram and Twitter and like our Facebook page. If you have ideas or requests for the show, email them to a few things at ofakind.com. To advertise on the podcast, that's advertising at ofakind.com. Our intro music, Butterfield East, is written and performed by the Soulful Saint. 